You gotta get a bagel up. I get a bagel on the You get you get a bagel coming the next time. I sent my post office, but it'll take like a year to get there. So. Yeah. Yeah, it only took us six or seven months to get there the last time. So hopefully yeah. it won't be that long the next time. I had I had an interesting uh, thing that I'd like to because I have to get it off my chest. Is I woke up this morning and I have about a twenty inch diameter 50 60 foot tall tree and anyhow it fell across my just within an inch of my deck uh oh, wow my backyard. so i will be cleaning that up today wow <laughs> and, uh, wow a huge tree uh i don't know why it wasn't really that uh windy i don't think but it, i'm glad i hated that tree so you, you, are you <laughs> you have uh do you have chainsaws or anything? Oh, like I got everything. I used to do this for a living, you know, so no big deal. You have chainsaws, Rick? I have chainsaws. Yes, you want to you know, get Rick, anybody to like? Rick can <laughs> actually juggle chainsaws. He's that good. <laughs> While they're running. <laughs> All right, brother. That's good. Uh, so, uh, well, praise the Lord that you didn't have any more damage than you did. Yeah, that was a super expensive deck. I don't want to have that thing broke, broke down. <laughs> uh, hopefully, if, if, if it had happened, hopefully your insurance would have kicked in. But uh, yeah. yeah, probably. So, um, <clears throat> we're closing in on the end of, of uh, Colossians. Remember, when we get to, um, when we finish this up, we will be over in Philemon. And following that, I'm still praying, but I think I'm going to pass on James again. <laughs> I think we're looking, we're looking at, I'm, I'm looking at first Corinthians. Really Chicken. Like Thank you. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I, and I resemble that James. Thank you so much <laughs> for, for acknowledging. I have a wonderful plume. I mean, <laughs> my wings are amazing and my legs are very scrawny. So yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I think we're going to tackle First Corinthians. It, it, trust me, there is enough controversial stuff in First Corinthians that we will, we will be struggling to get through it uh, and, uh, and trying to figure out what God has to say. But anyhow, well, you know, we're, we're going to push you towards James. I know uh, you guys are. And I, I'll continue, tell you this. continually. If, if you we, might as well get it out of the way. That's right. <laughs> right. Okay. If we make it through, through First Corinthians, it will be a, it will be one of the books that I consider the next time. How's that? <laughs> you consider it every time. It's been ten years you've been doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just do as God leads. What can I say? Amen. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm blaming it on God. You know. Amen. You know okay. my my wife. I don't, I, I don't know if many of you were were believers when you were dating, but. Um, uh, one of the things that we always did, you know, when you broke up with a girl, if you were a, a, a believer, is, you know, well, we don't think it's God's will for us to be together anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they actually God. said that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because great... we thought that that would make it easy to, to you know, ease the pain. Right. You know, we were, and I, I can remember my, I, I had taken my wife to what, at Bob Jones, what we call the dating parlor. Uh, think of, um, Art Van, or well, uh, was it now uh, um, Loves, or or uh, one of the other, a furniture store with lots and lots of places, you know. So and and there, this is what it's like. It's like walking into a furniture store. There's all these little settees and 
couches and chairs all together for you to, to sit with your, your, your date. And you quote, you can play games and talk and you can do Bible studies together and you know, whatnot. But it's, it's pretty much a, it's a way of, anyhow, it's, it's where, we, where we would go in order to be together on campus. And so my, uh, my, I, my wife and I, well, at that time, she was my girlfriend, we met. And I had just been on the phone with my parents telling my parents, I'm going to tell this girl that I love her. And, and it's the next, my next step towards, you know, eventually asking her to marry me. So I got up there and I'm reading, the, I thought, well, let's do a Bible study. And we, I thought, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. So I'm reading this love chapter and I'm, and I'm trying to tell her, you know, as I get through this, that I love her. Well, she's taking this whole chapter as though I'm going to be breaking up with her. And these are all the things that love are is supposed to be and that she's not any of them is what's going through her mind. <laughs> you know, and, and then I tell her, you know, at the end I go, and uh, Becky, I, I just want to let you know that I, I really, I truly love you. And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was not romantic at all, you know? That's <laughs> where her head was. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, that was my my attempt at being uh, and and blaming it on God. So you know, she thought it was gonna. She thought for sure I was gonna blame it on God. Say so, you know, you're you're. It's God's will for us to break up. And when I were still stuck with each other after forty three years. So what can Ooh. I say? All right, we're in Titus. Titus. We're in Colossians chapter four, verse seven to the end of the chapter. I think we can. We might make it. We might make it today. <laughs> we'll see. Let's take a look at this. It says, Titus, uh, will you uh, will tell you all the news about me? He is a dear brother and a fellow minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, Aristarchus uh, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have instructions about him. And if he comes uh, to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have pro proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and uh, Herlopolis. Uh, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nymphia uh, the, and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church in, of, the, of the Laodiceans and that you read the letter sent to Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. All right. So um, during uh, the Roman times, the Roman Empire, they actually did have, believe it or not, they had a, um, a letter system 
but letters, uh, the, the Roman government had in a mail system, but often personal couriers were uh, a better uh, way of communicating. And that's what Paul was doing here is, is indicating who's going to be carrying the letters for him. And uh, he talks about uh, Titicus. Uh, he functions as a special messenger from Paul and that he has the letter from Paul and he also has firsthand knowledge. So he spent time with Paul and uh, he describes him, notice he describes him as uh, a loving brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Um, he uses the same, uh, uh, the same terminology uh, in Ephesians, where he talks about uh, uh, Titus as well, it would appear, I don't know if I can show, if this map shows up for you or not, let me just see here. I was really on my, on my game, I would have, um, I would have done this so you can see it on the board, but, okay. This chart of, uh, of the uh, of the land, you'll see that uh, Ephesus, which is the, the book of Ephesians, is written to the church in Ephesus, and Ephesus is right where my thumbnail or where my fingernail is. And uh, Ephesus then goes. Uh, it would appear that Titus travels to Africa, uh, uh, yeah, Ephesus. Ephesus, and then goes inland. And also goes to, from what we're reading here, he goes to Laodicea. Laodicea is right on the way to Colossae. And in the, in the inner part of this, you, you see that there, if you look up on a map, you'll see that uh, uh, Laodicea and Ephesus are close together. Uh, Heropolis was actually a little further north. And so it would not make sense for him necessarily to tell uh, the, if he wrote a letter to the Colossi, uh, to the, the church in Heropolis, uh, it would come after they had gone to uh, Colossi. So it's just kind of interesting. My guess is that this same gentleman carried letters for Ephesus, perhaps the, the very uh, epistle that we've studied, Ephesians, and Laodicea, and a, a, a letter to, um, uh, to Colossi as well. And then he talks about that that a guy by the name of Onesimus is accompanying Titus. Uh, and notice he calls him a faithful and dear brother. And he also says that he is one of you. That would appear that he also is part of the, the church or at least part of Colossae. I'm not sure if he was a believer prior to it. We're going to, when we study uh, Philemon, uh, which is dealing with the, the situation between the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave that ran away. It would appear that he came to know the Lord while he was in Rome. It also would appear that he stole money from his, his uh, master. And now he's going back. And uh, so one of you perhaps is reference to the fact that he lives in Colossae. It could also mean that he was, that there were a lot of slaves that were believers in Colossae and that that might be what is being implied. We're not 100% certain, but uh, it is there. That, uh, and, it, and so um, he says that he's going to be coming as well. And he talks about uh, uh, Aristarchus sends you greetings. Um, 
and Aristarchus is a native of Thessalonica and also a traveling companion of Paul. Acts uh, 19 and Acts 20 talks about that. Um, it would seem that in Acts 17, there's a reference to him perhaps being a, a believer from Thessalonica. And um, uh, Paul took up a uh, collection for the saints uh, in, in, in uh, Judea during, the, the, during the, 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 um, the famine there. You remember that? The end of the mm. book of Acts. And in the process of doing that, one of the people that was charged with him to travel with him to deliver the, the funds that had been collected in, uh, in the, the Gentile church was Aristarchus. And uh, he's also, it would appear that he is also someone who is uh, uh, a fellow prisoner. Uh, the word there that is used, often Paul uses a word that means slave. In this particular case, the word that he uses to talk about him being a fellow prisoner, depending on your translation, uh, would indicate that he truly is a, a, someone who's in chains with Paul, or apparently the same thing that Paul's in chains for. And then, of course, it talks about John Mark. Uh, Mark is, uh, uh, was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas, anybody remember what Barnabas' name was? Okay, it's Joseph. Doesn't really Barnabas? Any, anyone know what Barnabas means? Barnabas was his nickname, if you will. Encourager. 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 Yeah, yeah. So um, it would appear that if you remember the story from Acts, uh, in Acts, um, uh, Barnabas takes John Mark with him on the first missionary journey along with Paul. We're not told why John Mark leaves, but they, John Mark makes it as far as Crete. They do their ministry in Crete, and then they launch from Crete to go up to what we would, what they're called Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today, into the central area of Galatia and in, in through there. And uh, for whatever reason, John Mark leaves. We're not told for sure why, but for whatever reason he does, Paul considers him a quitter and isn't interested in having him join them again when they go for their second missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas is an encourager and says, no, no, I want him to come with me. And so eventually the two guys split. Now, fortunately, it doesn't seem that they're at odds. They just end up deciding to go their separate ways. And instead of having one team, missionary team, we now have two missionary teams traveling, continue to follow Paul through the book of Acts, but eventually it would appear is that John Mark and Paul come to a reconciliation. And uh, if, if, we, if we make it all the way to my applications, one of my applications is that just because you fail does not mean that you are a failure. You can uh, recover from failures and you can become successful. And um, so uh, we're going to look at, at that. Hopefully we'll get there in just a minute. So anyhow, it would, it would appear that uh, Mark, John Mark is in Rome and comforting Paul, which is a, a positive. Uh, it, Peter, Mark is with Peter, and perhaps that's where uh, he and Paul and Mark co connect is Rome. Because uh, Mark seems to travel with Peter, and Peter spent a lot of time in Rome 
and uh, Peter is, uh, Mark is with Peter in First Peter 5, it, it mentions this. So in trying to connect all the dots, it would appear that, that uh, Peter dies, uh, John Mark perhaps takes up with Paul again in Rome and is there comforting him. Uh, one of the traditions of the church is that Mark not only wrote, uh, well, we know that he wrote the gospel of Mark and we believe that what he did is he, re he recounts Peter's uh, stories of when he was with, uh, when he was with uh, Jesus. And so you have actually kind of Peter's account uh, filtered through Mark's uh, remembrance, his memory. And when you get to the book of, of uh, Mark, the gospel of Mark, Later, he became a, 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 we believe he became a missionary that went to Egypt. And, and the story is, uh, the tradition of the church is that he founded the Church of Alexandria. The significance, by the way, of Alexandria is that Alexandria is the place that helps to save Christianity and, and make it orthodox during the fourth century. The Church of Alexandria sends... Um, of course, I'm going to draw a blank now. Um, yeah, I can see it. And I can't think of how to. Anyhow, one of the one of the elders of the Church of of Alexandria goes to the Council of Nicaea, in which we come up with the Nicene Creed, in which we decide that Jesus is uh, is equal, co-equal with God the Father, and it is a defeat with the uh, our. Um, um, Man, what is wrong with me today? With Hi, the, Joe. Uh, must I need a, I need another I need a larger cup of coffee apparently. Yeah, the the issue is whether or not Jesus is God, or is he a a son of God, something less than God. Um, right. And uh, uh, the Church of Antioch or the Church of Alexandria is what saves Christianity mm -hmm. uh, for what we consider to be Orthodox today. They're the ones that carry the day. Um, starts with an A. Why can't I think of the name? Oh, well. All right. So let's go on. Um, it would appear that as during the second time when Paul is in prison, in the book of Timothy, he asks Timothy to send Mark to him. So Mark becomes a pretty important person to, uh, to Paul as he uh, gets on... Uh, or, uh, as, as life goes on, and they apparently uh, are able to uh, come to terms with and accept each other. So that's a, a positive, I think. Uh, you know, the question could be, did, was Paul wrong in his assessment of not bringing uh, Mark on in the first missionary journey or not? And I think that God, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. What, what I do know is that God used it to multiply the mission uh, abilities to send out two teams of missionaries. Uh, you know, it, it's very po possible that Paul was cautious. He was a cautious man versus a, you know, willing to take more risks. I mean, he took risks, obviously. He spoke the truth and he spoke before kings and, and governors and so forth. And he had no problem sharing his faith, but maybe he felt Paul, that, that John Mark would be a a hindrance on the on the journey, but apparently it, it comes back to be a positive thing. It says, uh, t he tells Timothy in Second Timothy uh, uh, 4, he says, uh, tell Mark and bring him with you, take Mark and bring him with you, for he's profitable for me in, in my ministry. 
thinking, whoa, that's that's a positive, you know. When you like to have, I don't know, can think of one of your, one of the, the pastors, you know, the guys that just retired, wouldn't it be great if they said, you know, oh yeah, make sure that, you know, Joe comes because, and, and joins me in the ministry on the, on the next missionary trip I'm taking because he's been a real great help to me in my ministry. That make you feel kind of good, I would think. Right. So yeah, and we have Jesus who's also called Justice. It would appear that he has two names, Jesus, which is actually Greek. It would be uh, Joshua, which is his Jewish name. Justice is a Latin name. And again, many, often many Jews had, uh, especially if they had a lot of, of connection and, and contact with the Romans uh, and Gentiles in general, would have a Gentile name that they were known by. And that's this guy, Jesus and Justice. We're not told much about him, other than the fact that he's a fellow worker with Paul and he comforts Paul. But isn't it great that, in a way, isn't it kind of great that that's the case? We don't know a lot about him, but 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 uh, God immortalizes him in scripture. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be the next Billy Graham for God to, you know, say, you know, acknowledge that I was a faithful servant of his. I don't have to be the next, uh, you know, whoever you, you, uh, you happen to like. Uh, I don't have to be that guy. Uh, it, I can just be me. And God can still find a pleasure in what I do and what I accomplish for him. I think that's mm-hmm. positive. All right. So Epaphras is the next guy. And um, he adds that he's one of them. Uh, he's a prayer warrior. He's a diligent worker on their behalf. It would appear that Epaphras uh, is the guy that brought the gospel to Colossae. It would appear that he was probably also one of the, the evangelists in the Lycus Valley, which includes Laodicea and uh, Heropolis and uh, Colossae are the three three of the major towns there. It would appear that he uh, was was a missionary to that entire region. It it also seems that he must have. Um, uh, well, we know that Paul taught him in Ephesus. It's about a hundred miles west of Colossae. So we've got a guy who's from Colossae, ends up in Ephesus. And Paul ends up winning him to the Lord and then discipling him. And then eventually it appears that he becomes a prisoner, much like Paul. He's referred to as a, a, a again, as a, as a prisoner like Paul. Uh, and so he's sending his, uh, he's sending his uh, regards that Epaphras is, is uh, concerned about the church. And here's the interesting thing. He wrestles in prayer for Colossae. He wrestles for with, in prayer. He's involved in intercessory prayer. Just because you can't be with someone does not mean you cannot still have an effective ministry with that person or group of people. When was the last time we had intercessory prayer for people and we really poured our heart out to God and asked for that? I, I, see, a, a, I see about four points about his prayer life. Um, part of this, the words come from the, the King James because I just thought it was kind of neat the way it says it. First of all, in verse 12, it says, he pray, I would take away from there that he prays always for you. He prayed consistently, constantly he prayed. We've talked about praying without ceasing. It would appear that this is really important and really heavy on his heart and mind. 
And so he prays and he's always praying. He's constantly praying. He's doing it fervently. He's, la he's laboring in prayer. He's wrestling, if you will, fervently. He's agonizing is the, is the, the term there. It, prayer is not, a, is not a flippant thing with him. Prayer is serious business. Uh, you know, Denny, if any of you uh, read Denny's note to us uh, from last week, uh, what a what a great insight and, and what a challenge and what a, a conviction, I think, for a, a lot of us, myself included. That, you know, sometimes we don't pray the way we should. Amen. We don't pray for it. We don't, it isn't, we try to multitask when we're praying versus saying, okay, I'm going to pray right now. And that's not to say you can't multitask and pray. But maybe we should be setting aside specific time. We say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray during this time. Now, if you haven't done that in a while, I'm going to just give you a forewarning. Don't decide you're going to, you're going to pray for an hour, first time out. You won't make it. I'm just guarantee you, you won't. You know, your mind will be like a ping pong ball. You know, you'll be bouncing all over the place when you're trying to pray. But, but try to be consistent. Probably take five or ten minutes, you know. You'd be surprised how much praying you get done in five or 10 minutes. And you think mm -hmm. I prayed, you know, I prayed for everything I can think of. And you look at your, your watch and go, Oh, rats. It was only five minutes. <laughs> so I go back and I pray some more and I pray real hard and I pray for, you know, and I look at my watch and it's been another five <laughs> minutes. You know, I've only prayed 10. It'll take time for you to build up to having a, a decent length of time in prayer. But, but think about it, you know, create a list. Uh, like I have here, I pray, I pray, I pray this list uh, for you guys uh, on a regular basis. Take the time to think about who you need to be praying for and, and who's asked for prayer, who needs prayer. Pray fervently. Don't do it without being serious about it. Additionally, he prays personally. He prays for you. He knows he's very personal. He's not just praying, you know, oh God, we pray for the missionaries. No, no, no. Hey, Lord, I'm praying today for Giuseppe. I need you to help him. I need you to help him be able to spread the gospel where he's at. Even if he's stuck in Upper Michigan. Oh no, are you here? Are you here down in the in the states in the in the lower forty now? <laughs> Gee, he's not answering. Okay. Yes, I'm with you guys. All in right, man. All right. Rochester Hills. So, you know, but pray specifically and pray personally for specific people, you know, that, that, that need our prayer. And then um, he prayed definitely. He, he prayed for what are you praying for is my question. If you ask, if you were to ask Epaphras, who's he, what's he praying for, he'd be able to tell you. If I was to ask you who you're praying for or what you're praying for, could you give me specifics? You do if you take notes <laughs> or if something really weighs on your heart. Um, he prayed sacrificially in verse 13 with great zeal, with much distress. Sometimes prayer is difficult. Sometimes it's like wrestling. Maybe it's like wrestling with God. Maybe it's like Jacob. I don't know. It doesn't mean that we must wrestle with God in order to get his answer, but it does mean that we have to throw ourselves into prayer with zeal and concern and passion and a burden. Someone, is, someone has said that with no burden, there's no blessing. 
with no burden is no blessing. You, you want to see, you want to see prayer accomplish something. Praying that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Prayer that costs us something will accomplish something. I'm going to give you a, a prayer request. No one has, no one has told me to do this. I, I don't have any deep knowledge about anything other than I, I feel in my spirit. Our church, our church, and specifically I'm speaking of Kensington, needs prayer. A lot of prayer right now. Just like I think our country needs prayer. But I think our church is in a, a very interesting time. And I believe that it needs to be bathed in prayer that God's will is done. I don't know. I, I don't have any... I don't have any particular agenda. I don't have any particular thing I, specific to pray about other than say, pray for the health of our church. Pray for our church. I believe our church needs prayer more than it's ever needed. And it ought not be the last thing we do. It ought to be the first thing that we do. For those of you that attend other churches, you also pray for your church. Pray that God has his will accomplished in the ministry that you're involved with. And, and pray seriously about it. All right. That was my, my ad for the church. Let's keep going. We're in verse 14. We're almost to the end. We're getting there. What do we got? Close. Awesome. So uh, Luke is, uh, is mentioned in, in the beginning of, of chapter uh, 4, verse 14. We don't really know a lot about it. Uh, we do know that there's a, there's a, a piece of paper. It's called the Anti-Marconiat uh, uh, Prologue that dates from the second century. Remember, Marconi, um, Marconian had a, uh, he believed in, in dualism. He believed in a good God and a bad God. And it was one of the issues. And he took, uh, he, he only took a portion of the, um, he took the Gospel of Luke, he re rejected all the other three Gospels, he only took about half, maybe two-thirds of Paul's epistles. There were some he just threw out. He said, okay, these, these are, this is the word of God. The rest of it isn't. So there were those that were fighting him because he, they believed that there was more to the word of God. Than, and, it was, and so eventually he was declared a heretic and banned and so forth. But anyhow, in this prologue that, that is writing against him and saying that there's no, there's more to scripture than, than just the few pieces that he's chosen, a few books. They write about Luke in this, and I just thought it was interesting. He says, Luke was an Antiochian of Syria, a physician by, by profession. He was a disciple of the apostles and later accompanied Paul until his martyrdom. He served the Lord without distraction, having neither wife nor children. At the age of 84, it says that he fell asleep in Bothia, full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'll tell you this. People that lived closer to the time of Luke are probably more accurate in figuring out what he did or didn't do than those of us that are 2,000 years removed from it. So uh, we do know he was, uh, he was Greek. He was a Gentile. He's probably the only Gentile writer of Scripture. He wrote two books. They're, they're in the, the Scripture. He wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote a, a companion piece, and that's the book of Acts. It's interesting that um, 
think about this just as a as a kind of irony. Here's Paul, who has the a power to heal people when at, at times. And what is he doing? He's traveling with what? Physician. A physician. George, I want you to come with me next time we travel, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good. I'm I'm thinking that's going to be important. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, I think it's just kind of irony that, you know, there are times when God chooses to heal miraculously through supernatural means. And there are times when God chooses to, to heal miraculously through medicine. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's always a good idea to have a guy like George traveling with you. All right. Oh, just got a whole bag. Next one that is mentioned is Demas. Now, it's interesting. Demas is just mentioned. There's nothing, there's no positive said about him. You know, at least here in Colossae, it's my dear friend, my beloved friend, you know, Luke, Dr. Luke. (laughs) Demas, yeah, and Demas is with us. Say, hey, that's it. It's a, hey, that's it. And, and, you know, and so one of the things you would think about is you say, well, he's kind of like Justice, right? He's just mentioned. Possibly. It's interesting, though, that he's mentioned here in also in Philemon, and then he's also mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Oh. Remember, like John Mark was mentioned in 2 Timothy 4? So Demas is mentioned. And, and Demas accompanies Paul to Rome, but it goes on to say that he loved the world more than he apparently loved God. And so he returns to Thessalonica. He leaves Paul. He leaves the ministry as far as we know. And it says that it was because he loved the world. Not because he was told by God to go someplace else, but because he loved the world. Now, the world refers to the whole system of things that runs this world. This, if you will, a society without God. And, and we remember from John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, that there are three things that make up, that, that entice us in the world. What are those three things? In the King James, I like it because it's easy for to remember. The lust of the flesh, the lust, the lust of the, of the eyes, eyes, pride of life. Pride of life. Yeah. You think, it, you think it bothered Paul to, to see Demas leave the ministry? I think it did. I think it probably hurt the work of the Lord too a little bit. It wasn't like God couldn't couldn't recover from that. But First John two again, remember we talked about this. First John two, we were talking about in verses uh, fifteen through seventeen. At the end of of seventeen, it says, "He that does the will of God abides forever." How you doing? Just asking. Just asking. What's going to be recorded at the end of our uh, end of your life, the end of my life? I love the world more than I love God. I I I chased after the stuff of the world versus chasing after God. I was more worried about my retirement fund than I was about the will of God. I was more worried about my job. I was more worried about my cottage, my boat, my you name it. What is it that what is it that takes precedence? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is it that takes precedence in our service for God? 
Wouldn't it be great at the end of the day, on our head, our headstone, if we had one, it said he pursued God. He loved God more than he loved the world. Okay, I, I'll stop beating this up. All right, so he says, as he closes this out, he says, hey, I want you to send greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha. Uh, by the way, anyone have a different word than N-Y-M-P-H-A there in verse 15? Anyone says nymphus? Yeah. No? Yes? Yes. Mine. King James does. King James. King James. King James. Yeah. Okay. Let's just talk about that for a second. This is one of those things we, we don't know for sure. Okay. So it's the typical thing in the later translations, which would be like the King James in the sense that it all comes from one major source, which was the, the Greek Orthodox pulpit Bibles. Okay. Uh, and they all came from one source, all of the copying. Uh, it is a, ma a, a male name. Uh, in some of the earlier writings, it is a female name. Hmm. Don't know. We don't know for sure. Uh, so depending upon how it's read, it could be Nymphus uh, and the church in his house, or it could be Nympha and the church in her house. It, it wouldn't surprise me. And again, this isn't a hill I'm willing to die on. There are, there are hills I'm willing to die on. This isn't one of them. But it's just, I just pass it along because every once in a while we run into these things in translations depending upon, you know, and there are earlier translations that seem to indicate female. Uh, we don't know. And it's easy, it's easy when you're translating, you know, or when you're writing stuff down to go from male to female just by the change of a letter at times, you know. Well, yeah, but look at the rest of the sentence and the church in her house. But if I go to King James, I go, which is in his house. Yes, exactly. So you have to make a choice. If it's a male name, you have to say it's his house. If it's a female name, you say it's her house. Yeah. Here's my, here's my take. I don't know which one it is, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a female name because often the houses that, that people met in, especially those who are uh, that were at least proselyted and be, and were close to becoming Jewish believers, you know, proselytes, were mm -hmm. female. Females were much easier to become uh, yes. a, a part of it. And females seem to be some of the first people that, that end up coming to know the Lord. Uh, Lydia, as an example, in Macedonia. John Mark's mother is, the, is where the house meets for uh, prayer for the church in Jerusalem. You know, now granted, there were other houses that met in prayer as well, but it just was, it, and I could be wrong. It, I don't know that it really matters. Just some Does people it? think it was a woman. Some people think it was a house. Regardless, it was a church that met in a house. And uh, that was the way it was done before, prior to the, the, um, uh, the empire, the emperor uh, deciding to give uh, land to the church. Up to that point in time, it was, uh, you met in houses, you met in, wherever you could. If somebody owned a business and they had a business, you might meet in their business too. Um, but uh, if you were a, um, if you had a, a large enough house, you'd do it. And it says, then give attendance to the reading. Read, read the letter uh, that I've sent to you. And by the way, read it aloud. 
I, I've often found it fascinating, um, and I did it again. I, I do it quite often when before we meet on uh, here on Tuesdays. I actually listen to the passage I'm going to be teaching on. I listen to it audio. I listen to an audio version. Of it. And I do that because sometimes I pick up something in the audio that I don't, that I miss when I'm just reading it silently. And there have been times that, that I've done that where I've just listened to the Bible. That's all I've been listening to in the car is the Bible. You know, I go through an entire book. And I pick up things when I'm listening to it that I sometimes miss when I'm just reading it silently and following along in scripture something about listening to it by your our ears i think i i think i mentioned one time i i read through the bible i was on one of these bible reading plans and stuff like that and, and i was reading through the bible and i found out that uh i would what i would do is i would listen to it as i was reading it i would okay. i would specifically set the time aside to to read it not just you know while Great i was idea. doing something else and it made a world of difference because it slowed me way down because, you know, the person that's reading it is reading it a lot, a lot slower. And as you're reading it, you're concentrating a little bit more on what, what's being said. That's a great and, idea. Uh, I picked up, a, I picked up a heck of a lot more, especially reading through the Psalms and things. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. I could see where that would be a very positive thing. All right, good, good work. Good I idea. Give you the, I just want to give you the three-minute warning because this is the last. Oh, is it, so we got to <laughs> wrap it up in three minutes. <laughs> We're not going to get to the application apparently. So uh, as much as I wanted, but that's that doesn't. So I, I just want to end in a couple of things. Uh, I'll mention it. I won't. We won't. Let's not go into the discussion of it. But uh, it, it mentions there's a letter that's sent to Laodicea and it's missing. We have no idea what it is. I would take that to mean that that's not something that God wanted to keep in scripture. It was something that was meant for the church and probably meant for Colossae, but it was a, it was a local information that, that wasn't deemed necessary by God to be included in the scripture. So just like there are, there seems to be between first Corinthians and second Corinthians, there seems to be a missing letter that maybe Paul sent to Corinth. Uh, we're not sure, but it would have, it would, it might appear that way. And um, I would just simply say that sometimes God goes, you know what, it, this, it was important for the, the local church at the time, but it isn't something that's important for the overall church, you know, for the church, uh, the universal church to know. So, all right, we've mentioned that, we mentioned that. The last line, we just say this, Paul does this, he says, uh, I, uh, uh, he signs his name on the letter. He often had a scribe, uh, um, an anamnesis, I think it's called in the Greek, where they would they would take and they would write out uh, what you're saying, uh, and then uh, Paul wants you to know that this is truly his. So he puts his signature on it. It would be like putting your uh, your mark on something or signing. Something. You know, you read through something and you sign a document at the end to let everyone know that you've you've signed it, and 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 so it would appear that that's the case here that Paul does this. And he says to remember my chains, remember that he is, that he's um, in the gospel and he's being do, doing this because he, he's in chains because of the gospel. Um, I, I want to make one final note as we kind of wrap up. I have some other things, but I just want to talk about this. We need to be ready. I think the, one of the things I take from this, remember my chains, is I think we need to be ready to accept the consequences of preaching the gospel to a hostile world. 
And there are parts of the world where it is incredibly dangerous to preach the gospel. But we have to be ready to, if we truly are followers of God, if we are truly believe that we need to, to preach the gospel and spread the kingdom, we need to be willing to accept the consequences when we do something in God's name, when we do something for God. Uh, I'm sure that if Paul had his choice, he would have been, he would have chosen not to be in chains. But isn't it interesting that because he was in chains, he was able to accomplish things that he probably wouldn't have done, been able to have done otherwise. Paul is told, or actually the, the gentleman who leads, heals Paul's eyes, uh, is told, Ananias, is told that there are great things that Paul is going to have to suffer. And that in the process of suffering, he's going to speak before kings and governors, and I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my sake, is what, is what Jesus says to Ananias. And I'm sure that was passed on to Paul because it's written in Acts. So I'm sure Paul heard about it. Think about this. Would he have had a chance to have gotten into Caesar's household and speak to Caesar and to win many of Caesar's household to the Lord if he had not been in chains? There are consequences and there are things that God sets us up. And sometimes we would choose not to do that. I just assume I have to go through some of these struggles that we go through. But maybe God does it so that you can spread the gospel in a way that no one else could and put in a place where no one else could get to, to be able to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. And we have to be willing to accept whatever that is, whatever the consequences of that is, graciously. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, uh, there was a gentleman who, who recorded an exchange with uh, uh, a bishop of, uh, uh, in uh, uh, Marxist Angola back in the day. And he, he, talked about the struggle of the government oppression that caused his church to grow stronger. He was a Methodist pastor, by the way. Um, and this is what he said. The government does, not, does what it needs to do, and the church does what it needs to do. If we go to jail for being the church, we shall go to jail. Jail is a wonderful place for Christian evangelism. Our church made some of its most dramatic gains during the revolution when so many of us were in jail. In jail, you have everyone there in one place. You have time to preach and to teach. And surely 20,000 of our Methodist pastors were killed during the revolution, but we came out of the jail a much larger and stronger church. That's an interesting way to look at things. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to start looking at what we go through as a means of which God is going to use us to bless the world in a unique way that only we can do as we go through whatever it is that we are called to go through. I leave that with you at the end and just say this, that God says that overcoming our failures is important. There are personal failures that are mentioned in this book. There are, there are three guys, Mark, Onesimus, and Demas. Mark and Onesimus now have a failure, but come out of it, and they overcome their failures. Mark, we know, becomes a close personal confidant of Paul's. Onesimus is sent back to Philemon to deal with the issues of what he did when he ran away as a slave. Uh, Philemon is given specific instructions as to what to do and, what, and how to act to Onesimus. We're not told if that's how that turns out, but Onesimus does what he's called to do. Demas 
fails miserably and never comes back into line and, and, got, and it's recorded in God's word. We can overcome failures if we're willing to submit to God and submit to his plan and to recognize that failure happens, but failure does not need to be final. And those who triumph over their failures or in spite of their failures recognize that they may have had a failure and maybe a lot, but they themselves are not failures. Failures are simply to be uh, are simply to be underpasses to that lead to success, according to uh, C.S. Lewis. Failures may simply be underpasses that lead to success. All right, we finished. Hallelujah. Amen. We're done with.